0: (laughs) yes great video great video happy father's day guys glad you're here my name is Darren Brown I'm the executive pastor for anybody who uh, doesn't know I'm also the worship pastor here at the church Um, but this morning um, Ben Hill our technical director actually is leading the worship didn't the worship team do a fabulous job it's awesome to be with you this morning so it is father's day I don't know about you Father's Day is good, it's also a little bit tough. It's tough for me. Now, this is the eighth Father's Day without my dad. Hmm, my dad. Good old Rupert. That's my dad, Rupert. Yes. He gave me his name, so I am the fifth generation Rupert. You like that? (laughs) We all have different middle names, but feel free to say things like, I had a dog named Rupert, or whatever. So... (laughs) My dad was my coach, he was my champion. Uh, Later in life, my best friend, he was the best man at my wedding. He was a good father. To this day, there are instances when my phone rings where I think, it's dad on the other line. And I know it's not, but it still happens. They say time heals all wounds, but honestly, I'm gonna miss him till I see him again. It's not going to go away. And I'm not sad over that because it means our relationship was that close. So I feel blessed, but I do miss him. And now I'm the dad. So I'm the dad of three teenagers, 14, 16, and 18 years old. And so pray for me. (laughs) Actually, they are amazing, amazing young people who love God, and, and we are so blessed. I have a picture of them in Parker, Chloe, and Marshall. There they are. And Parker just graduated from high school at West Springfield a couple weeks ago. Be heading off to college. Yeah. I had no idea how many what those medals and stuff were for. I was like, that is a lot of bling, dude. But uh, we're super proud of him. And now I get to be the recipient of all the Father's Day hoopla in our house. But for some reason, Father's Day just isn't that easy. You know, Mother's Day is a lot easier. Mothers to me are just a lot easier in a lot of ways. They're a lot easier to buy for. I mean, moms, you can buy flowers or candy or jewelry. It doesn't have to be nice. You know, a homemade card. (laughs) You can buy mom anything. You can make mom anything, right? But dads? So let me ask you this question. What do dads do when dads want something? They just go buy it for themselves. They don't want no fathers, eh? And how many ties and pairs of socks does one man need? I have so many ties. I never... It's usually not a good occasion if I'm wearing a tie, you know, it's like, at least for me, I don't wear a lot of ties and I have lots of ties, but that's my life. (laughs) Anyway, so let me ask you this question. So moms like homemade art. So check out this art. So this is an sculpture, an art sculpture. So to show you the difference between moms and dads, so if mom sees this and the little kindergarten gives it to her, mom's likely to say, oh my gosh, that has so many little twists and curves, and it's so colorful. It is beautiful. You are an amazing artist. Tell me more. Dad, (laughs) hmm. Dad might start off with, uh, what is it? And then when they say, guess, they say, it looks like a rainbow bear with a smushed face. (laughs) And then the child says, it was a roller coaster. (laughs) And then your dad says, of course it was, That's really good. And so starts the cycle of children trying desperately to win their father's approval. (laughs) Now in our household growing up, there were stark differences between mom and dad. So mom was our biggest cheerleader. She was our confidant, our homework helper, the boo-boo fixer, the family taxi driver, the giver of extra spending money. And dad never and she was the, the maker of the meals, the keeper of the sanity. She, sh- she made sure that we got to bed on time, school on time, church on time, and pretty much took care of all the basic day-to-day stuff of life. Dad, on the other hand, th- Dad was a little mysterious. None of us actually knew what Dad did. <laughs> we knew that he left the house early in the morning, and he usually came home in a bad mood. (laughs) Other than that, we didn't know a lot. (laughs) But we knew when to steer clear. And also, Dad had a special job in our family. He was the official punishment officer. (laughs) I don't ever remember uh, Dad saying, go to your room and wait till your mother comes home. (laughs) He never said that. But man, when you got in trouble and you had to wait for Dad to come home... It would kill me just sitting in there for what seemed like days, sweating it out. And then he would come in and he'd say those famous words. This is going to hurt me. <laughs> not true. <laughs> not true. Just simply not true. But what did really hurt and what I remember to this day was the look of disappointment on dad's face. Oh, It was killer. Don't get me wrong. I knew my father loved me. He loved all of us. He showed us. He told us. But still, I have spent a great portion of my life wondering where I stood with my father, trying to somehow earn his approval or his respect. Relationships with dads can be tricky. I know mine was. So what about you? What was your life growing up in relationship to your father? Do you remember it? Are those memories vivid? Maybe you were blessed with an incredible relationship with your father. Why? What made it that way? Maybe you didn't grow up with a father around at all. Maybe you lost your father at a very young age, or your parents divorced, or dad left and chose a new family. Maybe dad was home... But not really. Maybe dad was really interested in his own career and trying to help the family, and you felt invisible. Maybe your dad had personal demons that he struggled with, and it really impacted your life. How do you think all those things shaped you? And how do you think it helped shape your understanding of God as a father? What about God as a father? Some of you, to be honest, may have this picture of God as other than. He's not really a father. He's just like this supreme being up in, heaven, up in the heavens, and he's not super personal to you. But is that what the Bible says? And is that the kind of relationship that God wants with us? We want to explore that today. There's a lot to tackle, so I want to ask you if you would bow your head with me, and we'll pray, and then we'll dive right in. God, God in heaven, Father... Show us characteristics of you today. Lord, help us to leave here with a better understanding of who you are and who we are in relation to you. Lord, I pray that if anything I say is not true, that it would go in one ear, out the other. But if it is true, God, would it take root in our hearts and our minds and would we apply it to our lives? Draw us near you today. We need you, God. Amen. I'd like to start by sharing sharing with you a Bible story that's going to be familiar to most of you and maybe won't be familiar to all of you, but it's it's one the Bible calls the parable of the prodigal son. I like to call it the parable of the loving father, not the prodigal son. Why? Because when Jesus told this story, he he didn't start off by saying, once there was a young man who had a brother and a father, blah, 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 blah. He said, once there was a man who had two sons. I mean, he framed the whole story around this father. Dads, take note. There's a lot that we can learn about how to be a loving, patient, kind, forgiving father from this story. I'm going to read it to you. The words will be on the screen, so read along. Once there was this man who had two sons. And one day the younger son came to the father and said, Father, eventually I'm going to inherit my share of your estate. So rather than waiting until you die, I want you to give me my share now. So the father liquidated assets, divided them. A few days passed, and this younger man gathered all his wealth, and he set off on a journey to a distant land. Once there, he wasted everything he owned on wild living. He was broke, a famine struck, and he felt desperately hungry and in need. So he got a job with one of the locals who sent him out into the field to feed the pigs. The young man felt so de- so miserably hungry that he wished he could eat the slop that the pigs were eating. But nobody gave him anything. So, he had this moment of self-reflection. What am I doing here? Back home my father's hired servants have plenty of food. So why am I here starving to death? I'll get up, I'll return to my father. I'll say, "Father, I have done wrong." Wrong against you, wrong against God, and against you. I forfeited my right to be treated like your son. But I'm wondering if you would treat me as one of your hired servants. So he got up and he returned to his father. And the father looked off in the distance and saw the young man returning. He felt compassion for his son, and he ran out and folded him in an embrace, and he kissed him. And the the son said, Father, I have done a terrible wrong in your sight and in God's sight too. I have forfeited any right to be called your son, but the father turned to his servants and said, "Quick, bring the best robe that we have and put it on and put a ring on his finger and put shoes on his feet and then go get that fattest calf and let's butcher it. Let's have a feast and celebrate because my son was dead and he is alive again. He was lost, has been found." So they had a huge party. They had a huge celebration. What an amazing story. What amazing story about a father who shows love and compassion and kindness to his son. And what about the son? What an idiot. <laughs> I mean, he's an idiot. If you read the story, it sounds like they had a pretty good life, right? I mean, for the father to have all these servants and everything else, they had it, he had it made, but that wasn't good enough. He wanted everything. He wasn't thinking about anybody else. Talk about entitlement. And we thought it was just in this generation, right? No. You see, every single one of us make choices that make us choose our way instead of God's. And do you know what God calls that? Sin. Sin. It's exactly what this young man did. He sinned, he got greedy, and he was thinking short-term, and it was probably fun while it lasted, but I'm pretty sure it didn't last very long. Maybe you've done something foolish in your life. Maybe when I said that, something popped right in your mind. Maybe there's something that you have never been able to let go of. You've been carrying it around. Today could be your day. Let it go. Maybe you just did something really dumb, like I did when I was 13 years old, and lived to tell the tale. So, when I was 13 years old in Fort Worth, Texas, To be cool, you needed to dip, right? You know, dip some snuff. I mean, that was cool. Cool people dip snuff. In fact, if you're super cool and you had your dip can in there long enough, then you got this ring on your pocket. You guys know what I'm talking about? No? Do we have the picture? Maybe? Yes! The dip ring picture. To be clear, it's not my picture. But anyway, I wanted to join the ranks of the tobacco users of America, and I was bound and determined to get, some, get my hands on some snuff. So somehow, my dad found out about it. I mean, parents have a sixth sense, I guess, but one morning at breakfast on a Saturday, my dad said, so Darren, heard you want to dip. And I was like, oh no, I am in super trouble. He said, have you thought about the uh, ramifications of doing that and uh, the risks of using tobacco? Side note, my grandfather was a tobacco farmer for all his life. Smoked three packs of cigarette a day. Uh, died of cancer, anyway. So I did what any normal 13-year-old did. I lied and said, of course I know all the risks and I, I'm ready to do it, Dad. And so he said, all right. So about 15 minutes later, we loaded up in his pickup truck. He took me to the quick Sack convenience store and he bought me, actually, he let me use my own money and <laughs> buy my first can of dip. And he said, look, you should go for the Kodiak. So I was like, all right. So I got some Kodiak. I don't know anything. I, my dad tells me I do what dad says. So I get the Kodiak, and then we're on the way home. And he said, now, look, I'm going to tell you some, one other thing that's super important. You need to listen to me. I said, what's that? He said, okay, your friends are really wimps. Real men, when they dip, they don't spit. They swallow. They swallow. So I said, okay, all right. So we get home, about 15 minutes later, one of my friends calls, and he says, hey, listen, we're gonna go on a bike ride, and about four or five of us went out, we'd ride about 12 miles out of town to Woolsey Hill, this, this family in our church. He had a farm, and we'd go swimming and fishing out there, so we headed off, and man, I was showing off my can, and I saw I cracked the seal, got me a little pinch, on my cheek and gum, feeling good. Heading off on the bike, I'm swallowing Everything. <laughs> We get about halfway there, and I get crazy dizzy. I fall off my bike, crack my head open on the asphalt, messed up my bike, and I'm laying there and I'm puking, and my kind friends waited three or four minutes and said, dude, you look sick, and they left me. (laughs) And so I had to walk my bike back about five miles to my house, and the whole way I'm thinking, What is going to happen? What is going to happen? What is dad going to do? You know what? Dad didn't mention it when I got home. He didn't say anything. I'll tell you this today. It's one of the best lessons my dad ever taught me in life. Looking back on it now. How does it relate to the Bible story? My father allowed me to make a bad choice. He was teaching me, don't cave into peer pressure. Just because other people are doing it, you don't have to do it. So a couple days later, he casually said, So, how's the dip been going? <laughs> that can had been in the trash since, you know, two days <laughs> earlier. And I knew he knew. So I told him the whole story, confessed it. He laughed and said, Hey, let's go fix your bike. But what does this have to relate to the Bible? Guys, God allows us to make poor choices. We are not robots. You're not on autopilot in your life. Think for a second of some of the poor choices that you've made. Then we're going to pass the mic around. And you It's got... <laughs> <laughs> not going to happen. I have made some doozies in my life, but when we mess up, may me ask you this question? Does God hold it against you? Does God keep reminding you and just holding it over your head and just beating you up with it? What does the Bible say? In Psalm 103, 12, the Bible tells us this. You see, God takes all our crimes and seemingly inexhaustible sins and removes them. As far as the east is from the west, he removes them from us. Thank you, God. Proverbs 28, 13, and 14 says, whoever tries to hide his sins will not succeed, but the one who confesses his sins and leaves them behind will find what? Mercy. The son in the story had to be expecting some horrible consequences. Can you imagine the walk home? It was a long walk building up that courage to face his father. I can't even, I didn't ever want to come home with a B on a report card. I can't imagine what he must have been expecting. But what happened? He didn't get what he deserved. It just never came. The father in the parable never mentioned saying a harsh word. If anyone ever had the right to be angry at a child, it was that guy. But instead, he spoke words of life and forgiveness. And fathers, we need to really take note. Our words that we speak to our children Carry a lot of weight. Our words carry a lot of weight. Words that build up, words that tear down. I know my father loved me, but I promise you, I can remember exact phrases when my dad was angry that he said to me that crushed me. Our words matter. And just like the father showed his prodigal son, though, God doesn't give us what we deserve. God gives us mercy because we all deserve wrath. If we have sin and we all do, then we deserve death. We deserve separation. We deserve nothing. But instead, God is forgiving and patient and loving, and he loved us so much that he let Jesus, his one and only son, be the sacrifice for us. I mean, sin has to have a consequence, right? Right? Our sin has a consequence. It's not like God just says, no big deal. It was a huge deal. In fact, he had to give the ultimate sacrifice by letting Jesus die and suffer because of the consequences of our sins. That's a father's love for you, for me. In your life, have you ever had moments where you... See God's presence. Something happens, like a little God moment, where maybe something you see just reminds you of God's love or reminds you that God is there. So it happens to me from time to time. Not all the time, but there are just moments where it's like, "Wow, thank you, God. I see that you're there and that you care for me." So this last week, Lisa and I were in Las Vegas. We were celebrating our 25th anniversary. Yes, thank you. Our actual date is Tuesday, and I know you're thinking, "What? They got married when they're 12?" I know no. Uh So 25 years ago, when we got married, I had no money, and so I'm trying to figure out how to pay for a honeymoon, and so with no money, and you want to go somewhere kind of fun, we went to Las Vegas, right? And so, you know, the trip was cheap, and then food was cheap, and it was super fun. So 25 years later, you saw the picture of Parker, so he's about to head off to college, and two more right behind him, so we have no money, and so (laughs) we went back to Las Vegas. Um... We went and stayed in the exact same hotel on the same floor that we did 25 years ago at the Luxor. It was a lot of fun. But unlike the first trip, this time we were willing to venture out a little bit more, so I surprised Lisa, and we drove out and took an entire day and drove to the south rim of the Grand Canyon. Four and a half to five hours each way, long, long day, and well worth it. Stunning. Beautiful. Awesome. A reminder of God's power in his mind. And, and the pictures don't even come close to doing it justice. But there was something else that happened there. So we're, we're, we're walking around on the rim, touring around with it, thousands of our closest friends. And Lisa looked down and spotted something. She saw this, this little flower. By itself, in this dry climate, which could have been trampled, and yet there it was, blooming as a little gift for us. And a reminder of what the Bible tells us in Matthew 6, 28. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They don't work or weave or sew, and yet their garments are stunning. Even King Solomon dressed in his most regal garb wasn't as lovely as these lilies. So let me ask you this. If God cares for that little bitty flower, how much more does he care for you? how much more does he care for you no matter what your condition or your finances or your health or your job or your lack of a job or how much money you owe or what kind of credit card bills are stacking up at home. No matter what, God will never, ever, ever write you off. He loves you that much. Now back in the, verse 20 of the story, um, It it talks about how the father reacted when he saw the son. So the father looked off in the distance and he saw the young man returning and he felt, what? Compassion. He felt compassion for his son and he ran out to him. It's a remarkable thing if you think about it. Number one, he shouldn't be running. If you do any research back then, it was not dignified for a grown man to run in his tunic, so he had to raise up his tunic and take off and he didn't care. He threw caution. He didn't care what anyone thought. He wanted to go to his son. Secondly, the story reminds us that the father never gave up looking for his son. For him to see him far off meant he had to be looking. He was probably there day and night. Wondering, is this the day he'll come home? And have you ever thought about this? How many of you watch Survivor? Any any Survivor watchers, TV show? Okay, and a bunch of you are lying, but okay. Um, (laughs) Just kidding. I like Survivor, we watch it in our house. And one thing it's awesome to think about when they get to the very end, if you remember what the person looked like at day one and then how they look at day 39, they look nothing the same. They lost a lot of weight. They've grown hair in weird places. I mean, it's rough. But imagine this young man. I mean, he went off. We don't know how long he was living with the pigs. He had nothing to eat. He was starving. How did the father even know who he was? Have you ever thought about that, that no matter what had happened to him, his father still recognized him and from a long way away. This morning, you may feel a long way from God. Through the course of your life, through decisions you've made over the years, you might have drifted, and the close relationship that maybe one day you had isn't so close anymore. You may not resemble the person you once did, and it may be in some not-so-awesome ways. But let me tell you, God still sees you. He recognizes you. He longs for you, and he has never stopped waiting for you. Waiting for the day you return to him. He is on the lookout, and he's standing there with open arms, ready to receive you back. And as a son, I can tell you firsthand, there is nothing really like the hug from your father. When I was an adult, every time I would see my dad, man, big hugs, big hugs. Nobody else's hugs were like dad's hugs. As a dad, my, my kiddos are 14, 16, and 18, and when I come home, they literally still come and give me hugs, and they don't know that that's not normal, I guess. But I, I don't know, but it's normal for us, and I want to keep it that way. There is something about the embrace of a father. So imagine this father. He was probably thinking he'd never see a son again. What would that embrace have looked like? And we don't have that on film. That would be a miracle. But we do have a quick video that kind of illustrates this point. Check this out. Mason, yeah, yeah, clap for that. Mason was returning like two and a half weeks early from his deployment and surprised his father. Maybe God's been waiting a lot longer for you. God is all-powerful and mighty. He made that Grand Canyon. He made the stars and the heavens, but he's also personal and he's caring and he's waiting for you and he's waiting for you and he is waiting for you. He wants to adopt you into his family. Romans 8 talks about this. Paul writes to us and he says that, uh, talks about what it means to be adopted in God's family because before we receive God's gift of grace, we're like homeless orphans wandering around searching for a place to belong. But then the Father reaches out. He reached out through the Son, Jesus, and he grafts us in to his family. Romans 8, 14 through 17 says it this way. If the Spirit of God is leading you, take comfort in knowing you are his children. You see, you have not received a spirit that returns you to slavery, for you have nothing to fear. The spirit you have received adopts you and welcomes you into God's own family. That's why we call out to him, Abba, Father, through that prayer, God's Spirit confirms in our spirits that we're His children. We can call out to Him, Abba, Father, like a child would to a father. He's longing for you. And in Roman culture, adoption, I found out as doing a little bit of research, was a big deal. So in the Jewish culture, the bloodline was the big deal, not adoption, but in the Roman culture, it was different. In fact, there were different instances where parents could disown their biological children if they wanted to, when they reached a certain age. Their thought was more like, when you have a biological child, you kind of get what you get. But if you choose to adopt a child, then you're making that as a choice. You're making a conscious decision to say, I choose you, you're gonna take my name, you're gonna inherit everything that I have, I'm gonna take on your debts and your responsibilities, you get a new identity. Being adopted made someone an heir to the Father. So what Paul's writing in Romans should be a reminder to all of us today that we are fully desired, fully loved, and when we're saved, we have a new identity through Jesus. We're co-heirs with Jesus. Maybe you've never asked Jesus to be your Savior. Maybe you've never asked for right standing with the Father. So I'll ask you to do it today. To tell God that you want to be forgiven. To tell God that you believe Jesus died for you, that he gave his life for you, and that you need forgiveness of your sins. And ask him into your heart. Ask him to be the Lord of your life. He's waiting patiently for you, and he knows all the good, and he knows the not-so-good. He knows all about you, and he still loves you. And for some of you, you are saved, but you've sort of gone through life keeping it a little bit on the down low, right? So I'm going to ask you to do something. It's time for some of you to go public. It's time to be baptized. It's time to tell the world, Jesus is my Savior, and I'm living for Him. Maybe you were baptized as an infant, and that's nothing wrong with being baptized as an infant. I'll just ask you this. Was that your decision? But if you get baptized as an adult, it would be your decision. And it's arguably the most powerful testimony that you'll ever have for your family, for your friends, as you testify of your faith. Dads, this Father's Day, what gift could be better to give your children and your wife than to say, I want the world to know I follow Christ. I am not ashamed. If you've been here at BCC for a while and you've seen the way we do baptisms, we typically have a testimony, right? So we play the testimony from someone and then we baptize them. And maybe you're saying, I don't want to be in front of a microphone that makes me super nervous. Okay, then don't. Don't let that be a barrier for entry. Your baptism, we'll we'll meet with you and talk with you, but your baptism alone can be enough. That is a testimony. We're going to have baptisms in two weeks. I encourage some of you, I implore you to follow Jesus in baptism. You're going to be tempted to let the moment pass. I have been in seats like you are, and God's working on me, and I just push it down. Don't do it. Don't do it. Today could be the start of something new for you because God loves you so much. I'm going to close with a video that illustrates the power of what happens when a child chooses a father. When the child says, I want to be in your family, I want to be associated with you. And we're going to have our offering after the video. And I'm going to ask you to do one of two things, if God's leading you to do it. If you've never accepted Jesus and you want to be saved, give us your info on a connection card, your email, your phone number, your name, and just write adoption, one word, and we'll contact you, and we'll talk to you, and we'll pray with you. You can stop and talk to a prayer counselor today in the room if you want to do it right, right away as well. And if you're a Christian, but you need to be baptized and you know that you do, then write baptism. Give us your info. We will contact you. We can make this happen. I would love for the whole service to be people being baptized as a demonstration of them following obedience. So just a moment as we take this offering, and in just a moment, just let God work on your heart. I'm gonna pray and then we'll watch this video. God, thank you for being so good to us. Thank you for the fathers in this room who are serving you, who love you, who are here today. And Lord, help us to walk even closer to you. Show us what that would look like in our lives. And God, give us courage to take next steps, to take a step. I know you long for us. Thank you, God, that you don't give up on us. Lord, as we take the offering, I pray that we would give generously to you because we can trust you. Would you take what we give and uh, use it for your kingdom's glory? Amen. Watch this video.
1: This is my wonderful stepdad, Randy. Um, It feels like he's been around forever. This is my lovely stepdad of 28 years now. Growing up, it was just my mom and I. I had this fantasy that my parents are going to get back together. When my mom met Randy, I just remember my mom would try to get us to act like father and daughter. I was not having it. I don't need this other person trying to come in and be my dad. backwards. Well, see? When I met Paul 28 years ago, I was a fiery little uh, brat.
0: You said it, not me. (laughs) You know, the relationship,
1: it develops over time. And I just took things, you know, day by day. You know, it took some time, but I suddenly saw Randy in a different light. There's this person right here that loves me and will do anything for me. And then it was like, boom. What are you doing? You have you have someone right there, like right in front of you. I think she got the work ethic from me. I do always have a job and pay my bills and... Except your phone bill. <laughs> well, I think parents should always keep you on their phone bill. I do too, because that way I know she'll call us. That's true, <laughs> yeah. So how do you envision your wedding? Mainly, I want you to be the one to walk me down the aisle. But more than that, um, I was wondering if you Adopt me and become my dad for real Everything that my biological father promised that he would do you actually came through and did I just wanted to Ask you if you would like to adopt me as yours It feels like I had this family all along and I didn't see that I had it.
2: by See you.
0: this place. May our lives honor you. May we live out our faith in a way that would please you.